in light of the scripture that Steve read uh, for communion, I will promise not to go on and on if you promise not to fall asleep. (laughs) Easy enough, right? Uh, Last time I preached, uh, I preached from Joshua 23 and and 24, where uh, Joshua gave a charge to the people of Israel uh, about whom they would serve. He told them, you have a choice. You can serve the false gods of the Amorites or the false gods that your forefathers had, or the god, sorry, the god that your forefathers had served beyond the river. And he implored them, please, please follow the example of me and my family. He says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people said, oh yeah, we'll, we'll serve the Lord, we'll obey him. But in the book of Judges, after Joshua died, we see what happened. Joshua had followed Moses as the leader of God's people, and he did an admirable job. That, that generation did a very good job of leading the people of Israel. But in Judges chapter 2, it says, The people served the Lord throughout... Or, sorry, this is, this is still the good part. Uh, the, the people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him. And who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. So they followed him for a while. But it says, after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. They did well for a while. As long as they had good leaders, they, they kept their word to Joshua that, oh yes, we will serve the Lord. But then those leaders died and people turned from God and I guess they did what was convenient. They did what was easy. They did what everyone else was doing. They forgot what God had done and surprise, surprise, it went very poorly for them when they turned away from him. Throughout the book of Judges, there is a repeated cycle of the Israelites are obedient to God for a while. But then they start to slowly drift away, and then they completely turn away, and they're worshiping these false gods. Maybe not everybody, but even one is too many, as we learned with Achan last week. Only one person being disobedient is enough to affect very, very many. So they're obedient to God, then they drift away, then they fully turn away, and they worship false gods. Then they're punished, as they should be. And then they finally cry out to God. They beg him for help. And being the merciful God that he is, God would send a leader, a judge, to save his people. And the cycle would start again. Over and over, people would turn from God and be punished and then cry out for his help. And God would raise a leader to save them. And back over and over again. And the book ends with the Israelite people returning to their inherited lands and their tribes. In verse 25 of chapter 21, the very last verse of the book of Judges, it says, In those days Israel had no king. Everyone did 
as they saw fit. Now, we have a couple thousand years of hindsight. Um, we know how things turned out, but we can understand, I think, that mentality of everyone did as they saw fit. Seems like the world we live in. Everyone, everyone does as they see fit. And, and sometimes that's perfectly fine. Some people do see fit to follow the laws of God, and we do uh, try to live to honor Him and to bring glory to Him, and that's a great thing. But the majority of people do not. And as they see fit is to live for the pleasures of this world, for material gain, for whatever. <clears throat> How often do we read or hear or see that, oh, well, well, you should just let people do whatever they want as long as it isn't hurting somebody. Let, let me live my truth and you live yours. As if there is more than one truth. Don't, don't try and force your beliefs on me. Just trying to tell you the truth. Everyone wants to be able to do what they want and not have anybody else tell them what to do. Everyone wants to do like Israel did. Everyone as they see fit. And like I said, in some pockets, if, if this group of people in this room right now were the only people I ever had to deal with and everyone was doing as they saw fit, life would be pretty good. It'd be pretty great because I, I imagine that Everyone in this room right now wants to try and live their life to honor God. They want to follow Him. They want, they want to love Him. They want to serve Him. They want to do what is right according to the Word of God. If you were the only people I had to deal with, my life would be very easy. It'd be a good life. But our world's a little bigger than that. Even our tiny little towns here in Lawrence County, they're not filled with people like us. They're filled with people who are not choosing to live for the Lord. Our, our world, our, our country, full of people who do not see God as a God worth living for. Because they don't know Him. Our world is bigger than that. Everyone does as they see fit and we see the results. It's not pretty. We live in an ugly world, one that... You know, it's been mentioned, they try to diminish sin, try to dress it up and make it look acceptable. They, they soften the way they talk about it so that it doesn't sound so bad. Oh, it was an, it was an indiscretion. No, you did something terrible. Well, it was, just a, it was just a little bit of infidelity. No, you cheated on your spouse. We minimize to try and, try and make ourselves feel better about our sin, but it has never stopped being ugly and heinous and separating us from God. Part of it <clears throat> is related to a lack of proper leaders to follow. The people in power, maybe not necessarily the elected officials, but the the people with the money behind them, their motivations aren't to honor God. So where people are being led is not, for the most part, toward Jesus. When Israel turned from God, it was because Joshua and his generation passed away. There, there's a direct correlation 
uh, spelled out there in the book of Judges. When Joshua and that generation had passed, Israel turned from God. The leaders didn't lead well anymore. We've got thousands of years of history backing this up where when the leadership is poor, people turn from God. But when we have great leaders who stick to the Bible, when we have men and women who will stand up and do what is right, people see and people notice and people follow because they get to see Jesus reflected in those leaders. And when people see that in us, it's appealing because it is the best possible life that we can live. But a lot of people just don't have any reverence for the Word of God. They don't have any respect for the Word of God. Even, even some so-called churches and pastors have discarded the truth of the Bible because it's no longer convenient socially. They say, well, if, if I will just compromise on this, then maybe more people will come in the doors. No, you, you start to compromise on some of it and you just toss the whole thing out. The first seven chapters of 1 Samuel, uh, it, it covers most of Samuel's life from uh, even before his life, but his birth, uh, his calling by God, some of the moments of his leadership of the Israelites. And, and it seems like, again, Israel is on solid footing because they have a leader who has been uh, called by God and raised up by God and is doing everything that he can to be obedient to God. But then we get to chapter 8 where we're going to spend our time today. Uh, Samuel appoints his sons over judge, as judges over Israel, but they were dishonest. Uh, they were not good leaders, and they did not follow God. And we're going to start reading with verse 4 and go through verse 9 here. <clears throat> because of how poorly his sons were leading, it says this, So all the elders of Israel gathered together, and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, You are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, Give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel, so he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you now. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly, and let them know what the king who will reign over them will do. Sorry. So they recognized that Samuel's sons were not good leaders. That was good. But then, they, they got off the right path. They took a hard turn in the wrong direction. <clears throat> they wanted good leadership, but they thought that meant, well, give us a king. Let us be like everybody else. 
You know, this is a classic, you know, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. They wanted to be like other people. They were looking at the lives they, le- they were leading, and, and they thought, well, it seems pretty good over there, and they've got a king. So we should have a king. We want to be like them. They said, appoint a king to lead us, just like the other nations have. But the biggest issue with wanting to be like all the other nations is that none of those nations were God's chosen people. They were supposed to be different. They weren't supposed to be like everybody else. They were chosen by God. Peter puts it like this. He says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. There's the people who are not of God, and then there's the people who are of God. We don't, we don't want to be like the people who don't know God. We don't want to be like the people who don't have the hope of eternal life. Or at least we shouldn't. Without God, there is no hope beyond this world. That's a scary proposition. It's kind of terrifying to think about. But these people are are begging for that. Let us be like everyone else. Give us a king. And you can just see Samuel, come on, this is not what you want, guys. Come on. No. And he goes away and he talks to God and God says, hey, Samuel, It's not about you. They're rejecting me just like the people of Israel have done over and over and over. So if if it's what they really want, I'll give it to them. But, But go give them a warning. How beneficial would it be for us to get a warning before we went off to do something that we thought is what we wanted to do. Hey, don't, don't take that job. That company treats their people terribly. Oh, thanks. I'll look for something else. Hey, don't, don't eat at that restaurant. You're going to get food poisoning. Whew, dodged a bullet there. Don't, don't return that message. They're just trying to scam you. The grass isn't always greener. These things that we think we want, a lot of times they're too good to be true. They might look great on the surface, but down below, it's dangerous. What someone else has, if it's not of God, it's not better than what we have. Israel thought they wanted what other people had, but but look at the warning that Samuel gives. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, this is what the king who will reign over you will do. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. 
He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your men servants and maid servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, and the Lord will not answer you in that day. The king's going to take what the king wants. And the king's going to want the best. He says, Israel, everything that you have is going to be taken from you. The best of everything that you have is not yours anymore. If you really want a king, this is what it's going to be like. And when you cry out for relief, the Lord will not answer. And you would think that they would have a moment there and, oh, I don't want to sign up for that. That doesn't sound good. How, how many of you are like, yeah, sign me up. Give me that. No, nobody. Nobody wants to sign up to have the best of everything taken from you and, and for you to someday cry out for relief to God and have God say, nah. <laughs> Me neither. There's nothing that sounds appealing about that. Because it isn't. He, he says, you are actively turning your backs on my provision, God says. You are asking for an earthly king to lead you. Instead of trusting in God. God's not surprised because the people of Israel have done it. He says since they've come out of Egypt. Not necessarily actively asking for an earthly king. But they turned from God. They pursued what they wanted. They got involved with worshipping the false gods of everybody. They said, oh, Moses, why did you lead us out of Egypt? We had food when we were there. They complained every step of the way. And they wandered 40 more years in the desert. It was never good enough for them. And, and we look at them, we think, how could, you, how could you see those things that God did and still complain? And yet, don't we? Don't we, 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 maybe we don't turn and worship Buddha or Allah or any of those other false gods, but we seek satisfaction in worldly pleasures. We, we put material gain ahead of spiritual growth. We think, if I, if I can just earn enough money, then I'll be happy. Then I'll, then I'll be satisfied. If I can lose the right amount of weight, I'll feel good about myself. If I wear the right clothes, if I do the right things, if I do this, that, or the other, fit in, then I'll, then I'll be happy, then I'll be satisfied. If I work more, I'll get the promotion, and then I'll have the job that I want and the money I want, and then I'll be happy. If I pursue this person who isn't my spouse, maybe I'll finally be satisfied. Maybe I'll feel that excitement again. 
if my kid wins the tournament, I'll feel good. If my child gets straight A's, I'll feel like I've succeeded as a parent. Fill in the blank. We know the things that we've pursued that aren't God. That it, these things that we've chased after that aren't Jesus Christ and these things that have disappointed us because that's all they can ever do. The grass isn't greener. Or if it is, it's because it's full of manure. Right? There's something else there that it might look good, but take one step and you'll find out. It's not all it's cracked up to be. The better job comes with more hours and more stress. The child who poured everything into sports never learned to love God. The straight-A student developed anxiety because they felt like they had to measure up or be a disappointment. The person you cheated on your spouse with left you because it's no longer fun and exciting and now your family is broken. Israel, the king that you asked for, he took everything. Your sin has cost you everything. It's not going to turn out the way that you want. It's going to get ugly. Samuel tells them that. It's straight from God. But they say in verse 19, the people refuse to listen to Samuel. No, they said. We want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all the people had said, he repeated it before the Lord. And the Lord answered, listen to them. And give them a king. Then Samuel said to the men of Israel, Everyone go back to his town. And eventually he appoints Saul as king. Saul does all right for a while. But then he dishonors God. Gets a pretty big head. He starts thinking, yeah, Saul's pretty great. And God says, mm, no, it's not you, Saul. And God anoints David. And David's a great king. Mostly. And he does a pretty good job. And Solomon does all right. And then the kingdom splits. And there's war and destruction and everything goes wrong. Never really gets better for Israel. Jesus eventually comes, but... It turns out exactly like God said it would. Go figure. Israel says, we want a king. We want to be like everybody else. God says, all right, fine. Go ahead. I'll give you a king. I just can't imagine deciding, knowing all that is going to happen, knowing when God says directly by way of his prophet, you're going to cry out for relief, and I'm not going to answer. And they say, yeah, I'm okay with that. But at the same time, I kind of can, because how many times have I chosen to sin, knowing I really shouldn't do this, but I do it anyway. And then I feel the guilt, the shame, the I deal with, whatever problems arise out of my sin. 
And I still do it again some other time because apparently I'm too foolish to learn. Hey, how many of us have done that? We go back to the same sins over and over sometimes and we think, oh, this time it'll be okay. No, it never is. It never satisfies. It's too many times we choose to sin knowing that it's going to have consequences just like the people of Israel. God has warned us of the consequences of our sin over and over. He says the wages of sin is death. That's it. It can't bring anything good. <clears throat> we let our sin rule over us like a king. It takes everything from us. Samuel told the people of Israel, when you cry out for relief from the king, God will not answer. Thankfully, when we cry out for relief from our sin, God does answer. When we turn to him in true repentance, God says, I forgive you. Boy, am I grateful for that every day. I, ha I haven't felt the best the last few days, allergies and all kinds of stuff. I got really bloodshot eyes right now. Um, and we had, we had some friends over yesterday, and, and we've been... Um, watching a couple extra kids for, for some friends. And so our house was full, and Jeremiah did something, and I lost my cool, and I, I yelled at him, and Jeremiah feels everything big. Um, and I yelled, and, and I shouldn't have. I, I, I had asked some forgiveness. And I went to him, said, buddy, I'm sorry. I know I shouldn't get upset like that. I said, will, will you forgive me? And because he's, he's a wonderful boy, he says, yeah, daddy, I love you. And I love him. And, and God's just the same. We lose it, we blow it, we mess up. And we go to God and we say, God, I'm sorry. Shouldn't have done that. He says, I know. I forgive you. Every single time. Every single time, God will forgive because he's so much greater than us. He's so much stronger than us. God saves us. And not only does he uh, continue to say, he proactively sent his son. He said, you know what? They can't do this on their own. <clears throat> they can't save themselves, so I'm going to send Jesus. <clears throat> and it's, excuse me, it's hard for some people to accept that. It's hard for some people to, to see the life that we lead and think, yeah, that's what I want, because they see what everyone else has on the surface, and it looks good. If sin wasn't appealing, we wouldn't do it. You know, if, if every time we sinned, it was like getting poked in the eye with a sharp stick, no one would sin. We'd learn pretty quick. Well, nope, not going to do that. I know what happens. <laughs> but sin looks appealing. Just like that fruit on the tree in the garden. 
Adam and Eve looked at it and said, ooh, that looks good. It wasn't what they were supposed to have. So it may look good, but the consequences are terrible. On the other side, God isn't there. The other side, you know how we say the grass is greener on the other side. The other side is separate from all that is good. James 1, 17 says that every good and perfect gift comes from God. <clears throat> if it's good, it's from God. If it's not from God, it's not good. I know I'm not breaking new ground. It's not an overly complicated concept, but it's good to be reminded sometimes that that promotion you got at work, yeah, you probably worked hard, but it's a gift from God that those in position to do so recognized your hard work, right? <clears throat> that, that $50 that, that someone unexpectedly sent you to say, hey, I just had this and I thought of you and I thought you could use it. It's a gift from them, but it's also a gift from God. The free meal at McDonald's because the person in front of you at the drive-thru paid for it. Maybe it's not nutritious, but it's a gift from God. <laughs> if it's good, it's from God. So, so what, what can we learn from Israel in this text? What do we do in response to God's word today? First of all, Excuse me. <clears throat> we need to be careful to align our desires to God's word. Israel's desires got out of whack. They, they said, we want what they have. Instead of saying, God, we want what you want for us. They said, they said we want what everyone else has. If our desires do not align with the truth of scripture, things are not going to turn out well for us. The second thing that we would do well to remember is the grass isn't greener on the other side. If God isn't there, it is not good. Anything we seek that isn't of God will disappoint us and let us down. It is a well-crafted lie of Satan that seeking the pleasures and the comforts of this world will satisfy us. Don't fall for it. And finally, we need to remember that we're not supposed to be like everyone else. We're supposed to be like Jesus, as much as we possibly can be. Uh, in, in July, we studied the book of Titus with our junior high and high school students on Thursday mornings. Uh, we just finished that up this week. And in chapter 2 of Titus, Paul reminds Titus and, and everyone that would read it in the centuries since then, that Jesus gave his life not so we could be like everybody else, but so that we could be redeemed from our wickedness and purified to be his people who are eager to do good. <clears throat> the people of Israel forgot that they belonged to God. They forgot what he had done for them. To steal a line from Paul, they were not eager to do what is good. They saw what everybody else had and they fell for the lie that it was better than what they had. You know, what, what Jesus has for us isn't just a life full of rainbows and unicorns and sunny skies and no troubles. 
John 16, 33 says that in this world you will have trouble. But it also says, take heart, for I have overcome the world. This world's full of people who are actively fighting against Jesus. And Satan has whatever power those people will allow him in this world. But Jesus has overcome the world. The Christian life is one of sacrifice and submission. And Jesus tells his disciples and us, says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. I don't like denying myself. I would love to eat three cupcakes. Right? Who wouldn't? I don't want to... Some days, I don't want to sit down and read my Bible so I can know more about God. But I need to. I don't want to have compassion on my neighbor because that's inconvenient to me. But I need to. I don't want to have that conversation with my brother or sister in Christ who has fallen into sin. Because it's awkward. But I need to. I've got to align. I've got to align my desires to God's word, regardless of how I feel about those things. When there is conflict between what God says and what I want to do, I need to choose what God says. It's not always going to be pleasant. The idea of taking up my cross doesn't sound particularly fun. But there are moments, like last week when Whitney and I got to baptize our kids. Best day of my life. We celebrate when God brings healing to people. You know, Jamie Johnson posted yesterday that she came home from the hospital one year ago after 118 days in the hospital. We celebrate that. We celebrate those amazing things that God does. And big things like that and and small things too. We celebrate when sinners turn to God. We celebrate when the prodigal child comes home. We have peace when believers pass from this life into eternity. And and what a celebration it's going to be when Jesus comes back. The old hymn says, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. We're, we're going to sing a song of invitation. Dave's going to lead it for us. But <clears throat> there is nothing greater that we can do in this life than to lead someone to a point where they know and accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We want people with their whole heart to turn away from wanting to be like the world and turn towards wanting to be like Jesus. Those desires of the world will never satisfy us. They will always disappoint. But when we align our desires with God's word, we learn that that is the best place we can be. The grass isn't greener on the other side because Jesus isn't there. And we're not supposed to be like anyone else. 
We're just supposed to do our best to be like Jesus. So we're going to worship, and I hope that we're going to go and do that today. So let's sing together.